All right. Well, good morning again, and good morning to those of you guys watching this online. Um, if you guys saw me in a panic right there, I realized when I got up here that I, t I had taken my bookmark out of my Bible for some of the verses I was going to read, so I had to I had to go find those again real quick. Um, if you want to be turning, um, opening your scripture, if you've got it with you, to John chapter 10, that's where we're going to land to start out here in a minute. Um, but first, uh, let's talk about uh, Christmas decorations. So in the world of biology, um, going through college and everything um, and working with fish, we use what's called a dichotomous key. Has anybody ever used a dichotomous key? Does anybody know what that is? Oh, I see one hand. That's what I'm talking about. Um, but what a dichotomous key is, you basically have uh, two statements, and you read one statement and then the other and figure out which statement best fits what you're looking at, and then that'll send you to another statement. You have two more statements, and you keep going till you narrow down what you're looking at. So let's say I, I had a fish, and I'm like, okay, I read the statement, does this fish have whiskers, or does this fish not have whiskers? You know, if it has whiskers, we're going catfish, and they, you know, it's some sort of a catfish. And it just, it's a two-step process. It's a, well, hold on. It's a, it can be a way more than two-step process, but it's a two-statement process that you work through one at a time to sort things out. Um, and I think we as people can be sorted out in one of two ways based on Christmas decorations. And I'm not talking about Christmas decorations like before Thanksgiving or anything. I'm talking about afterwards. You know, the first group of people that we have are the people that take Christmas down as soon as Christmas is over. How many people do we have like that? Oh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of people. Um, how many people are looking forward to your Valentine's Day tree? Because that's the other group, you know, the group that leaves their stuff up all the time that, you know, they're out during the summer sipping sweet tea on the porch underneath their colored Christmas lights, right? And so we've got two types of people. And... You know, how it goes in my house, and this is going to be a funny theme, and um, used to, it was a little more uh, of a set schedule, but um, the day after Thanksgiving, I woke up and went rabbit hunting. I've got beagles. I, I went rabbit hunting. While I was gone, the Christmas elf came through, and our house was decorated for Christmas. It was awesome. Um, the day after Christmas, I woke up and went rabbit hunting. That's the, that's the theme. I, you know, I would go rabbit hunting, and... Uh, the Christmas elf had come through again and Christmas was gone. And it was, it was great. Um, but that's changed a little bit now because now we've moved to a new house and all of our Christmas stuff is packed downstairs. So you know who gets to carry it up the stairs? That's me. So I've got to be there for it now. But um, we're, the, we're the type of people that as soon as Christmas is over, like we're ready to take Christmas down. Our decorations go. And, you know, the house always feels empty for the first few days. But um, there are a lot of reasons why we want to pack Christmas up so fast after the holiday. Um, it may be that you're one of those people that put your Christmas decorations up right after Halloween. And that's okay. No judgment. I'm, we're, we're turning into those type of people. Um, Eli has, has made the deadline, uh, not the deadline, the transition. As soon as Halloween's done, it's Christmas movie time at our house. Um, so, yeah, no judgment. If you put your decorations up early, that's great. But by the time Christmas is over, you're ready to get your living room back, right? You're ready to get rid of some of the clutter, ready to get, get, get everything down and packed away and out of the way. Or maybe, you know, like I said, you're just, it's just the, uh, the clutter that's there that's driving you crazy. That's, that's a lot of what drives it at our house. We, we don't like clutter. Um, but I am a clutter machine. So um, that's... Sorry, that's just a little bit of therapy for me and Ashley right now. I guess that's free for you guys. I don't know. but um, Or maybe the other one um, that I was thinking, maybe you're ready to get your Christmas decorations down just because you're ready to move on past Christmas. 
Um, and there can be a lot of reasons why we want to move on past Christmas. But when you think about holidays like this, this holiday season, the holiday season can be a multiplier for whatever we're going through, right? And what I mean by that is if you're happy and you're in a good place, it's really easy to be up and in the Christmas spirit. It's really easy to be happy. It's really easy to do all the things. But on the flip side of that, if you're going through something tough, it can be really easy to just put on a brave face, put on a happy face that you're not really feeling inside. Just put on that face and get through the season, right? Get through the season and go on and get back into January and get back into a more normal thing. And, you know, if that's you, I want you to know, like, there's, there's no shame in that. We've all been there at some form or another. You know, the last time I was able to share with you guys, I was sharing my story about going through cancer. I had to adjust my chemotherapy schedule when I started so I did not have to take chemotherapy on Christmas. Like, I've been there going through a health struggle. Like, I wanted nothing more than to get through that stretch of life, get past the holidays, and get on with things. I've also been around and been a part of family drama that makes getting together and wanting to celebrate Christmas not a great, it's just not a great experience. It's not fun. It's not something you look forward to. We've all probably been there. And if we're going through something hard, sometimes the best thing that we can do is just put on that happy face and get through it. Um, and if you're going through something like that this year, you know, whatever it is, today I want to encourage you and encourage all of us to maybe not pack Christmas up just yet. And what I mean by that is, unless you're planning on getting festive with your St. Patrick's Day tree, you know, I'm not talking about the decorations. What I am talking about is the drive to get back to normal, to get back into to things regular, can really get us out of the spirit of the things we celebrate during Christmas time. And what I mean is things like peace and joy and hope and love are all part of the Christmas spirit, are all part of what we're celebrating this time of year. But it can be really easy to put that in the Christmas box and shove it away and then move on back into normal. And I want to encourage us today that Jesus, that when he came into this world, he came into this world with purpose. And we can see that purpose now. You know, in the first Christmas, they couldn't see the end like we can. We're fortunate. We can see the whole story. We understand the purpose. Um, but part of that purpose was for him to give us access to peace and love and joy and hope and all of those fruits of the Spirit all of the time. They're not just things that we celebrate at Christmas and pack up and put away until next year. That's actually really, really important that we walk through life with those things on the daily, every day, every week. And what I want to do today is look at something that Jesus said and what that means for us. Um, one of the purposes that Jesus live, lived out was to reveal God the Father to us. So in John chapter 1, John starts out and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as John is describing and talking about Jesus in, in verse 18 of that chapter, he says that Jesus came to reveal who God is to us. And this is something, there's something also that Jesus said to the disciples at, toward the end of his ministry. They were on the way to Jerusalem. They were really close. It was getting near the end, and, and they were sitting there talking, and the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, just show us the Father, and we'll believe. And Jesus like, what's the matter with you guys? Like, we've been through this. You've been with me. Don't you understand that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? 
So Jesus came to reveal to reveal to us and to humanity who God is. But here's the thing for the Israelite people. Um, God's been revealing Himself to them and the world for a long time, right? Um, you know, if you look back through the Old Testament and in the in what would have been the Israelite scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, you know, He was revealing Himself through the prophets and through all the writings and things all of the time. And they should have been the ones of all the people that should have known what God was about, that should have known His heart. Um, but over time, the religious leaders of the time really led them in a different way, took them in a way that wasn't following after God's heart, that in a way that was more about power for them and about getting rich for them and, and things like that. And when we see that Jesus came onto the scene as a teacher, what we see is he had to break through all that. He had to break through what the religious leaders were teaching at the time and had taught in their traditions. And he had to break through what they were practicing to teach everyone to reach everyone and teach everyone about the news of God's love and how much He loves us. And one way that Jesus connected Himself to God and revealed that He was God was through the I Am statements that He made that are found in John. And John gives us seven of these I Am statements. And these statements directly connected Jesus with God, revealed that He is God the Son um, through what He was saying. And when you think about the I Am statements, all of these I am statements kind of feel something that God had revealed to his people over time about himself. And these were characteristics that he revealed that, that as people learn who he was. Um, and one of the most famous I am statements in, in the whole Bible um, comes to us from Exodus. Um, and that's when Moses was on the mountain and God called out to him from the burning bush. And as they were talking, you know, Moses was making a lot of excuses about why not he shouldn't be the guy to go to Israel. And finally, um, Moses asked God, he's like, okay, who do I tell him sent me? And God revealed the name of himself. He said, I am who I am. And then he went on to tell Moses, tell them that I am sent me. So this would have been language that the Israelite people of the time of Jesus's time were familiar with. And when he came on the scene and started making I am statements, they knew exactly what he was saying. They knew exactly that he is saying, God the Father and I are one. I am. I am God. And this would have either infuriated people or they would have believed he was the Messiah. And maybe not exactly, they would have believed he was some version of the Messiah, right? The Israelite people had this version of the Messiah that was this guy that was going to come in and kick Rome out and, and be the king right then immediately. Um, so people either believed he was crazy or he was the Messiah of some form. And when you think about all the encounters that we see of people having with Jesus, there's not many encounters where people just come away like, man, you know, like take it or leave it. You know, there's everybody comes away, either they're ready to stone him or they're ready to believe in him. Because um, we, we read a lot that uh, as Jesus spoke to the people, like they were picking up stones, they were coming at him, they were ready to, to put him to death for the things that he was saying. So these I am statements would have brought that out in people. It would have been very divisive because they knew exactly what Jesus was trying to say. And John 10 gives us a look at a couple of these I am statements, but one of them in particular is what we're going to focus at, focus on. And leading up to what we're going to read, Jesus is teaching them about being the door, the gate through which all the sheep 
must come through to be a part of the flock, which is, he's saying, I'm the one that everybody's got to come through to receive salvation. I'm the one that um, you have to believe in, that you have to come through. And the people didn't understand what he was saying. And that's where we're going to pick this up in, in John chapter 10, verse 6. John writes, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So as we read this, we understand that um, this shepherd illustration that Jesus is using is one that God has used a lot of times, and we see that a lot throughout the Bible. And he's saying that as the good shepherd, Jesus is telling them and he's telling us that he came to care for the sheep, to provide for the sheep, that as the good shepherd, he's leading his sheep to find good pastures and to have a rich and satisfying life. And then he contrasts that to the others, the others that are thieves and robbers that weren't you know, true shepherds, that their purpose was to come and kill and steal and destroy. And this is what the enemy wants to do to all of us who follow Jesus. Um, he wants to kill and destroy the things that the good shepherd is providing for us. But the good shepherd is one that leads in a way that nourishes and cares for his sheep. The good shepherd wants his sheep to thrive and do well. The good shepherd builds up the sheep and is constructive, not destructive. And honestly, as I was mulling this idea of, of this message over after Robert asked me to, to preach today, like, I thought the next place I was going to go is we were going to talk about the Greek word zoe, right? So that's the Greek word in the in in this in in this that's rendered into life, and it it has a lot to do with our spiritual welfare and our physical welfare, and all of these things. It's like an all-encompassing word, but you know the the Holy Spirit kind of led me in a different way, in a different way to read something about what the Good Shepherd does. So. Um, where I, I got led was a very familiar passage of verse. It's Psalm 23, right? It's one of the most famous things about, about the shepherd, and it was written by, by David. And here's what Psalm 23 says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I want, or I have all that I need. Not want. That's a bad mix-up right there. I have all that I need. Let's, let's go back to that one. Um, he, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me, your God and your staff. Protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So as David is writing this psalm, of course, David, he was a shepherd, right? He took care of sheep. He knew what that job entailed. And as he's writing, David is writing and revealing all that God is to him and all that God provides for him. David tells us right off the bat that God is his shepherd and provider. 
And then David gives us the perfect picture of what the good shepherd does for his flock and what we can expect as we follow him. Now, the good shepherd is one that provides nourishment and rest. He guides, the good shepherd guides in the right ways. The good shepherd doesn't leave the sheep alone in the darkest of times. And as David speaks of a feast in the presence of his enemies, that's talking about a peace that can only be found when you're in God's presence, right? You know, when you think about like sitting down to a meal at a table with, you know, in the presence of, of people or, or things that want to bring you harm, that doesn't sound very peaceful. It can only be peaceful when you're in the presence of God. And as we look at everything David wrote in this psalm, we do well to keep in mind that it isn't a promise that there are never going to be hard times. He said the sheep, he walks through with the sheep in the darkest valleys. Um, it's not a kind of, of promise of a prosperity gospel that says you're never going to have hard times or that everything's always going to be easy or anything like that. And, you know, later on, Jesus never promised any of that either. But what this is a promise of is that we'll never be left alone, that God is always with us. What it is a promise of is we can trust he, we can trust Him that He has given us the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus told us He was sending the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, to give us wisdom, to lead us and guide us. And we can trust that He has given us the Holy Spirit to be exactly that. And that as we go through life, we can rely on the Holy Spirit to be our compass, right? To, be, to lead us, to guide us in good paths and in good ways. Um, it's a promise that we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, there's a lot of situations and times that, you know, you look at people and it doesn't make sense for them to have peace or, or joy or anything like that. But, but you do because you have Jesus, because of what Jesus did, because you have God with you. And then it's a promise that we can rest in His grace and know that we are secure, that we can rest and understand that when Jesus went to the cross, what Jesus accomplished for us was our once and for all sacrifice. And that as we're brought into the flock, that we're in the flock, that we're not going anywhere, that He is there and, and has us and we are secure in that. But here's the thing. This is all well and good to talk about. It's all well and good for us. I, I think we'd all feel good right now if we sang a song and, and, and stepped out of here. Um, but what my hope is today that we'll take this to heart because it's really important that we live in this, right? It's really important that as we think about being and doing life with the Good Shepherd, it's really important that we're really doing life with the Good Shepherd, that we do more than just understand that we live this out. Because, you know, when we think about our, our lives have purpose as well, and our purpose, I love the way that Louis Giglio um, put our purpose out there. Um, he said, our purpose is to know God and to make Him known. You know, if our purpose was just to know God, then, you know, life could be done with as soon as we come to salvation, right? Like we could check out and go to heaven and, and, and have eternal life. But that's only part of our purpose. The other part is for us to make Him known. And I love the way that... that that that's put because, you know, a lot of times we want to look to God and think, all right, what's the next step down this path? Like, I need some specifics right now. But this is saying what, what Louis Giglio was saying and, and why I love this so much is it's saying that whatever you do, wherever you go, wherever you're at, you can find that purpose because we can all be, um, we can all be sharing the gospel. We can all be, be living that way wherever, we at, what, wherever we're at and whatever we're doing. Now, I've always believed that that's one of the best and most powerful ways that we can make Him known is through how we walk this out, through how 
we live out our faith. And, you know, Peter puts this in a way in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. You know, Peter is telling us that we are chosen and we're set apart for purpose, that we're called out to be something different than the world around us. Our purpose is to be that royal priesthood that goes out and shows the goodness of God to those around us. And then Jesus put it like this in, in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, and this is verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So when you think about being called to be lights of the world, like nobody takes their light, lights it up and hides it, right? You don't light up a light in the darkness to cover it up and still be in the darkness. You light up a light with the purpose of driving out darkness. And when you think about Jesus talking about us being like a city on a hill, you know, the lights of a city on a hill are meant to be seen from a long way off. They can't be hid. You know, as much as you would want to hide a whole city on a hill, that light, that makes a lot of light. You can't hide that. And now I've got a picture I want to show you guys that really demonstrates what this is. So I don't know if, if you guys know what this is, but this is the star that, that's above Rockwood. Um, this is on the, the fire tower that's on Mount Roosevelt above Rockwood. Um, and this has been a part of my Christmas as a kid for uh, as long as I can remember. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure they would even know it's Christmas in Rockwood without the star, right? Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that's always been there. And um, I was talking to my, my dad. My dad's right back here today. I'm glad he's here with us. Um, but we were talking about this, and we're, we're those crazy people that, that go chase raccoons at night with hounds. That's just pray for us about that. It's an affliction, right? Um, but we, we were talking about the star and, and how far away you could see it. And, and what he was telling me is like, there were some places that I coon hunted in that if I got a little bit turned around, I could just go up on a ridge, and I can look and find the star, and I would know where Rockwood's at. So I would know what direction that was at. I could find my way out from that. Um, and here's the thing. So I, thinking about that and thinking about how far away that you can see the star, I started paying attention the other night. So we, we live south of Rockwood, which is in Spring City. And we were, we were traveling north on Highway 27 out of Spring City the other night. And I was like, I got to see when the first moment I see the star is. So we were driving. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Highway 27. It's okay if you're not. But north of Spring City, there's a big, a big factory, a Huber factory, where they make press wood. And you come around a little turn on the highway, and as soon as we came around the turn, I could see the light from the star. Of course, it was facing where we couldn't see the star shape, but we could see the light. And so I went on Google Earth, and I measured how far away that was. Um, that was 10 miles. So we could see the light from the star for 10 miles away. Um, and I'm, I'm really certain, depending on your view, you could see it from a lot farther away. Like, I, I wish Robert was here. He might could see it from his house if he got up on a, on a tall enough ridge. Um, but it's an awesome thing. And, you know, 
I'm not exactly sure how far away you can see it, but I can imagine it's a, it's a lot longer than 10 miles. But here's the thing. Here's the, the point of it, that when you have a light on a hill, it's meant to be a beacon. It's meant to reveal something. It's meant to show something. It reveals where you are. It reveals what direction you're heading. Or, you know, if you're thinking about lights that are up tall like a lighthouse, it reveals dangers and, and things like that. Like lights that are up high are meant to draw us into something. Our lives are meant to be beacons of faith to those around us. How we live, how we walk through life attracts others to faith. You know, whether we, you know, that might be kind of an unfair pressure to say, but, you know, people around us watch and see how we handle things. They watch and see how we go through life. And when we go through life in the right way, when our lives are, are being beacons for love and hope and joy and things like that, it gets us the opportunity to share the gospel with people. You know, I don't know how you guys feel, but like if I was looking for advice on flying a plane, uh, I'm not going to go talk to a construction worker. Nothing wrong with construction workers, but they probably don't know how to fly a plane, right? Like if you want to learn how to fly a plane, you go talk to a pilot, right? You talk to somebody that's experienced. Um, being, living this out, walking around in faith and, and hope and, and love and joy and all these fruits of the Spirit, walking around in those earns us the ability to be able to share our faith with those around us. So it's really important that when we're walking through life, that we're walking through life with joy, with peace, with hope, with love. All of these things that we celebrate now are so important. Those are the things that make our lives different from the world around us, that set us apart. Those are the things that make us a beacon for faith that points, points the dark world to the light of Jesus. And living like that has to be intentional on our part. You know, it's like we, we started out talking about. Sometimes it can be really easy for us just to put that in a box, to, to walk around just, you know, in life and keep your head down and keep trucking and moving and, and doing your thing. It can just be easier just to be like that. But that's not the life that Jesus lived and died and rose again for us to have. Jesus lived and died and rose again to give us access to the life that God meant for us to have, the life that He designed for us to have, one that's full of joy, that's only found in Him. You know, there's a, a lot of things in life that, that can bring us down, but one thing we can always carry and count on, if our joy is grounded in Him, nothing's changing that. You know, He lived and died for us to have access to hope that's anchored in the faithfulness of God that we can look and know that God's been faithful in the past and He's going to be faithful in the future. Um, we can have access to a love that overflows from the love He has shown us. You know, the Bible tells us that we love because He loved us first and the love that He pours into us, into our lives, is what spills out into those around us. You know, and He has shown, uh, He has given us peace that in any situation, any storm, whatever we're walking through, He's given us peace that can only be found when we're with Him, when it's only something that He can provide. And um, worship team, if you guys want to come on up, we're going to want to wrap up. But as we think about the purpose that Jesus came, the purpose that He had in coming to be one of us, you know, remember, He was in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and He chose not to hold on to that, but to come down and to be with us, to be one of us. He, that's what He chose to do. That, um, But as the purpose that Jesus came in that. Remember that, you know, as we've celebrated His coming to earth, He did way more than that. 
um, we can look and we can see the whole story and we can understand what He accomplished for us. He came to reconcile us to the Father, to, for, to show us that we need a Savior, to help us to understand that sin separated us from God, that we're, we're all sinners, that we've all been separated. He came to close that gap. He came to bring us back together and bring us back into the relationship with the Father that we were meant to have. And he did all this so we could have life and have it more abundantly. So as we think about that, as we think about jumping off into a new year, as we think about, you know, the, the new beginnings of a new year that we all celebrate and we all have goals and, and things out there, I hope that each one of us will take that to heart and that we'll choose to walk and live in the hope and the joy and the love and the grace and everything that he has given us and provided for us. So let's pray this morning.